Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is what we're all about. And you know, we have a plethora of guests from different areas of talent development and HR on this podcast, thought leaders, authors, and executives as well. And today, I've got a really great guest for you. Patricia Frost is the Senior Vice President and Chief People Officer and Places Officer at Seagate Technologies. Patricia Frost leads the People and Places organization at Seagate, where she's responsible for strategic initiatives that drive employee experience, culture, and Seagate's shared success. This includes fostering a diverse and inclusive environment instituting progressive talent attraction and retention practices, ensuring fair and equitable workplace practices, and establishing a safe and sustainable workplace. Before joining Seagate in 2019, Patricia led organizational strategy and change management within large, complex, cross-functional enterprises. She most recently served as a senior cyber advisor at Partners in Performance America and worked as a leadership advisor after a distinguished military career. And during her time in the United States Army, she achieved the rank of Major General and became the first ever Army Cyber Director overseeing the strategy, resources, and policies for U.S. Army's cyber capabilities. She has led strategic transformation initiatives across various interagency and international partners, and Patricia's military experience spans three decades of experience in the Pacific, Asia, and the Middle East, including three combat tours in Operation Enduring Freedom, OEF, in Afghanistan, OEF Philippines, and Operation Iraqi Freedom, OIF. And additionally, Patricia holds master's degrees in the fields of human resources development, strategic intelligence, and strategic studies. And she currently sits as a board member for Dog Tag, an organization that empowers service-disabled veterans, military spouses, and caregivers through a five-month fellowship program to help with personal growth and well-being. And if that doesn't impress you, I don't know what will. 32 years in the U.S. Army, rising to the level of major general, overseeing cybersecurity across complex international uh, projects, and now leading as the chief people officer at a big tech company like Seagate Technologies. And I was really excited to get Patricia on this podcast. And in this interview, we're going to dive into topics like making L&D more a strategic part of the organization, assessing the organization's needs, the experience that Patricia gained from her time in the US Army and how she uses that in the corporate world. And we're going to talk about looking for ways to promote more from within rather than hiring on the outside, as well as what leaders need to be doing to develop and promote their people and some of the different leadership and development opportunities that are coming up and that are being developed and created at Seagate, which is an organization with a lot of frontline hourly workers. So it's not the same as you know just having everybody in a corporate office. And if you're in a similar situation, you definitely want to listen to this. This is a really great conversation I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Patricia Frost. Enjoy. All right. I'm excited now to welcome Patricia Frost, who is SVP and Chief People Officer at Seagate Technology. Patricia, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Very excited to be here. Talking yeah, about the- my favorite topic, people. Yes, we're talking people today. And uh, I'm excited to have you here. We met 
at the uh, Josh Burson conference last year in 2022 and chatted about doing this. And it's been you know several months. We've kind of kept in touch. I know a lot has changed in the world, uh, especially in the world of technology and software. And so I'm glad we're able to still make this happen and appreciate you making the time. And I'm especially excited to talk to you because I know you have a great amount of experience, both through your career in the military, as well as, well as what you've been doing in the corporate world, and especially how you've managed to make people a strategic objective in the work you do. But before we get there, I'd love to step back and ask you about your background and how you got into this line of work in the first place. Well, thank you. So had just the honor and humble experience of being able to be in the military for 32 years in the United States Army and leading our men and women over decades and in combat situations. And what we learned in the military is it is all about people, especially for the Army. It's a people-centric service, not necessarily a technology or platform service like the Air Force. The Air Force still cares about people. Sorry if I offend any Air Force people out there, but the Army is people-centric as it is the soldiers on the ground. Mm. And so through that experience, it is all about how do you influence and motivate people to do things that are really sometimes outside their comfort zone, right? You're asking them to do missions and tasks that are dangerous and you're developing, developing them at a very high rate. And then it's really looking at their career, that career development and either developing the, the leaders of the future or also the non-commissioned officers who are also going to lead at that edge. So incredible experience over 32 years that I really value and bringing that now into the corporate space. So for four years now, I've been at Seagate Technology. So for those that don't know, it is a manufacturing company where we do very precision manufacturing in storage devices. Hmm. So really on the technical edge of how we store our data and how we, we talk about crafting the data sphere. Yeah. 32 years in the Army, I think a lot of people that haven't served, myself included, might think of the Army as being very big on command and control. And you mentioned leading and influence. And I would imagine that it's more than that. So can you talk about some of the nuances and the importance of being able to lead and influence? Yeah, I think there's this myth of you just give an order and everyone just marches and takes that task. And of course, our soldiers are very voiceful. They ask a lot of questions. They'll ask why. And many times you actually are leading people who are not within your direct control. Mm. So you'll have a task force, you'll have people attached to you, you will have coalition partners or allies working with you. So it really is about influencing, motivating, giving very clear leaders intent, which is all about what is that purpose, but then also what is success look like, the end state. And then giving everyone the room and the means to get to that end state of what you define as success. So that's really a premise of how you lead and then giving everyone the why and allowing them that growth to navigate to get to that successful end state. Mm. I think is really powerful because how you think as a leader, they should go lockstep to get to that end state. They often will find the most creative and innovative ways that you never even thought of and deliver. Yeah, interesting. So, and, and isn't them just taking orders? That that whole and maybe that's a little bit of Hollywood, but yeah. soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guard—they have voices. They have ideas. They're very innovative. They're at the edge. So how they look at a problem, vice where the leader may be sitting, you have to give them that voice and you have to give them that room to innovate. 
And again, get to that end state, however they feel is the best means. You give them the mission, you give them the task, mm-hmm. you give them their guardrails and allow them to figure out how to get to that successful end state. And that's where you see growth. You mm-hmm. see people doing incredible things. Yeah. Give them the room to grow and work as a team. So it's still a lot about connecting with people and finding ways to enable them and empower them to succeed, not just telling people what to do, because that's how yeah. they're really going to grow. Right. And knowing, and I think all leaders have to do this, right? What are the strengths of the team? Yeah. How do you build the right team, the right composite of a team? Because you want to have a lot of different strengths in that team. Recognize what the weakness, I hate to use the word weakness, the gaps are. How do you fill those gaps? Mm. So that team can be successful, whether that is a very kind of vertical siloed team in a sense, or what is the cross-functional team that needs to come in to make sure that team can succeed. Mm. So I think as a leader, you have to really know your people, know what their capabilities are, and then give them that room to really execute. Since this, this podcast is about talent development, learning and development, I'm curious what you learned during that time about people development. Obviously, you were talking about connecting with people, figuring out their strengths and weaknesses and, and connecting people with the right things and giving them growth opportunities. I know that the armed forces, especially the army, is big on developing people so they can continue to grow in their careers. What did you learn from that time that you've taken with you into the corporate world? Well, and we're very fortunate in the military because there's a foundation, right, of everyone's training. So everyone's mm-hmm. for the Army, you're a soldier first, right? So you all have the same foundational skill sets. But then as you go into your trade craft, whether that's information technology or intelligence, which was the field I was in, intelligence operations, infantry, artillery, right? Then you start to learn that trade craft building on the basic soldier skills, So everyone has a basic foundation of their soldier skills, which is fighting and winning our nation's wars, right? So you have to have basic soldier skill sets that you've achieved, you know, firing a weapon. How do you move to contact? Just basic skills as a soldier. And then you start to hone your tradecraft. And then what I've learned is, and the military has this over time-based, is what are the different skills you need to have at different levels? So they've really spent a lot of time in that development career map. But I think what we've learned, just like corporate America, it used to look very much like a ladder, mm. right? You did these at certain stages of your career. And then we learned very quickly that it's more of that jungle gym of experience matters and exposure across a lot of different types of units, locations, working with different allies and partners. All of that comes to play in building and developing you as an officer or an enlisted member. And those experiences, I mean, you can't even put a dollar sign on them, right? Mm. And that develops your skill sets. So thinking about as a leader, what are the experiences that you want your employees to have? How do you expose them? How do you challenge them? But I think with technology too, we're all trying to put our arms around or what are the different skills that we need our employees to have? What's the baseline of that foundation, that technical foundation we need our employees to have. We're all kind of looking at AI. Well, how do you even, what's the baseline of AI training you need people to have? What does that look like? Right? How is AI going to change you? So I think these are all things that we're looking at. How is that going to change how we develop and train our employees going forward? Yeah. Technology can change the landscape pretty quickly. 
Yeah, no doubt. And technology enhances and affects all the things we're doing, but it's still about people, right? And everybody in the most people, many people in the corporate world right now are trying to figure out AI and what we could do with AI. I can only imagine this is a big question that's in the, the military right now. We won't go down that that rabbit hole. But I want to shift to corporate because you moved into a a really big corporate role as chief people officer at Seagate uh, just a few years ago. When you came into that, how did you look at evaluating the landscape and figure out how do we make sure that HR, the people organization, is a strategic part of the overall organizational objectives? So when I came in, I had this roadmap that I was going to travel and hit all of our global sites. To re- and I'm one of those, probably a little bit of old school, so I'm showing my age is, I want to walk the floor. I want to see our different factories. I want to understand the environment in which our employees work, understand their challenges. What are their work structure challenges, whether it's physical or just what other capabilities allow them to do their job. And I took over and COVID hit. (laughs) So all that travel came to a screeching halt. I only was able to go to our factory, well, actually our research and design center in Colorado. And then I was able to go to Uh, California to one of our R&D centers as well. And so then I was like, okay, how am I going to learn about the company virtually? Right. Very difficult to try to connect and build relationships because I came in right when just literally we felt the world shut down, right? Right. There's no travel. So how how do we connect this way? How do we make a connection? How do I really find a way for people to open up and trust Mm. someone who's a brand new chief of people, right? What did help was we had to set up a a COVID-19 task force because we had to look at globally everything that was happening to our physical sites because, yes, the world shut down, but we still had to run the factory. So how do we do this? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it gave me probably a crash course in understanding our people and understanding what their challenges were in this pandemic environment. So in a sense, I got to know the company probably faster virtually than I would have had I had been getting on a plane. So I looked at that as a true opportunity because we had to connect and we had to connect in this medium and literally someone walking around the factory floor with a phone and videoing things for me, right? Like this is yeah. what's happening in our break room or this is what we're trying to set up in the canteen for people to eat. Yeah. So, so that was for me, again, taking what I call in the military battlefield circulation where you physically went out to meet the soldiers where they have to work and do their job. I didn't have that opportunity. So I had to do it via a virtual environment. Mm. So I, I think that was empowering in a way of just how quickly I was able to do that. Yeah. I think a lot, like I remember that time, obviously we all do. And certainly it created a lot of challenges for people and organizations. And people talked about the challenges in, you know, networking and building relationships. I remember it as, as almost like a, a golden time where I was able to build a lot more relationships than before, because even though I had been on planes like you going out to different places before the pandemic, afterwards, I was connecting with people, you know, virtually and found that people were just a lot more accessible and available than they had been before. And I made so many new connections, you know, during that 2020 time. So if you used your time wisely, you were able to connect with people. Now it's different than being there walking the floor in the factory, but you still found ways to connect. I would imagine you were doing the same thing with your colleagues in the C-suite with with business leaders so that you can make sure you understand what their objectives are and therefore make HR, the people organization, a, a strategic part of that. Correct. And then, you know, when we looked at 
what did the employees need as what was changing in our work structures? What was going to change for Seagate coming out of the pandemic? And one thing I did bring in, especially with everything that was happening, all the different challenges that we were going through during that time is making sure, because I came from the world where you don't get to just go hire if you have a gap Hmm. in your team. You have to develop that from within. So 32 years, you just don't go hire a senior officer from out on the street because they have a capability, right? You have to grade that internally. I found that what I was seeing talking to other CHROs is a lot of companies didn't have an internal first means. So for us, we use, and I can tell you about the GLOAT capability. We brought that in right before the pandemic hit. So getting GLOAT on board as a talent development, career development platform was really important to us to look at internal talent first. So setting the policy that before you go and hire externally, we need to give every employee in the company transparency to what's available or a development path to take on that position or fill that gap. And I think that's really important because you want to, I think, look internally first. One, it costs less. You've already put money into that individual who's already part of your company. And they may be doing things and learning things on their own time that you had no idea that they were gaining a skill set because that might have been a passion of theirs, but they never told their manager. But if you have a platform, a means of transparency to say, I'm putting a task force together or a project team together and I need these capabilities, how many of you want to come and devote some of your time to it? It's amazing to see who signs up for that instead of always going externally first. That's not to say that you're not going to externally hire, but put some parameters in place that you look internally first and how are you? And then then the next step for the acquisition team and for managers, if you're always going externally for a certain capability, what are you not developing internally? Yeah. And what are you telling your people? What are you right. signaling to them, right? That if they, they if we, you value external help, so they may need to go outside if they want to move up rather than right. looking for capabilities from within first. And you think of the culture that you've had to build with people and you think of just corporate processes. We're a global company. It is not easy to navigate within Seagate. It's not easy to navigate within any large global mm-hmm. company. That takes time for your employees to learn. What is the business process? What's that business process management? What does that look like? How do you even do procurement and acquisition within a very large company? That takes time. Someone just walking in the door doesn't know that from day one. Hmm. So if you can look at that internal talent and say, what are you passionate about? So again, that's that manager to employee discussion. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to have development? Where is the company going? Hmm. Do you have passion in that area? And then you provide them the means to get developed in that area. Yeah. It's really interesting. That's better better use of our time than a manager spending a lot of time with saying, oh, I'm always going to find this perfect person outside the company. Right. Yeah. I I like that analogy. It's interesting you bring up, you know, your time in the army because it hadn't really thought about that before. Right. But when you have a senior officer retire in the army, you don't go onto LinkedIn or go to the Navy and be like, oh, let's poach somebody from over there or somebody from the Air Force. You you promote somebody you who's to going to now. And, and it becomes trust. an opportunity. So I think it's just thinking about you promote from within. Mm-hmm. Trust. Now, if you believe in your development program and just how you've developed them as a leader. So every leader should think about this. This isn't an HR issue. Yeah. This is a leadership mm-hmm. responsibility. This is a manager responsibility. 
How are you developing your team to be able to promote from within? Are you giving them those skill sets? And every leader and manager should be looking at their succession planning all the way down to just even junior managers. Who is that successor? And if you say, if your answer is at every level, I have to go external, then I'm questioning what you are doing as a manager or a leader to develop from within. Mm. Again, what is that telling your team? Yeah. I want you to be the workhorse, but when there's an opportunity, I'm going to go externally. That's That doesn't give me a lot of trust in... I'm not going to be loyal to the company if I know at every opportunity there's a chance for a promotion, but you're going to go look externally. Yeah. What do you want your leaders to be looking for in terms of succession planning and and preparing their people to to move up or identifying people for promotions? And and how do you help develop your leaders or, or train your leaders to be able to do that more regularly? Right. I think at the junior level, I always tell our most junior professionals is focus on your trade craft, right? Focus on your skills. That's that's anyone that's in their first to depending on how technical your your skill set is, could be your first to maybe eight or even 10 years in a company is really hone that trade craft, understand where technology is taking you, stay current, you know, that continuous learning. I hope everyone has that passion for continuous learning because technology is moving so fast. It's not what's happening five years from now, it's what's happening within one year from now. of what's going to change how we operate, right? And then along that path, I always say about probably year five or six, then management has to look at how are you developing their communication skills? How are you developing their problem-solving skills? How do they look at conflict? If you were looking to maybe put them in somewhat of a management role, make them team leaders, right? Put them in charge of a a project or a program. See how they work as that leader working on a project, right? And that usually about year five or six, right? That you can give them maybe a regional and then you're really developing someone if you give them a global project to say, how do you look across many different cultures? Because you have subcultures within your company, right? And how everyone operates in different parts of the world, right? How do you work across that? How do you work across time zones? How do you manage your time? So I think at what point do you start to look at those programs? And I'm really excited because I just heard from my team in Thailand that did a women in leadership program. So most of our employees in the, in the factory level in certain parts of the world are women. Mm. So we were thinking, how do we develop female supervisors? So we thought we had this great plan of how we were going to develop them. And then the team on the ground talking to the super, the actual supervisors who are in those roles is they wanted face-to-face training. They wanted some round robin type training, put them into scenarios. It needed to be in Thai, not in English. Right. Mm. And really give them those challenging scenarios in a trusted and safe environment where they could learn, let's put you in a scenario of what it means to be a factory supervisor within this production line. What are the challenges that that supervisor has today? And so these were selected manufacturing specialists that we put through this training. But you're already, they're already thinking about how to grow the supervisors of the future, not looking externally, but how do you internally develop, but also illustrate to them what it is to be a supervisor. Mm. So taking them through some module training of what it is to manage and lead by just doing their day-to-day task on the production line. And right now, just 
everyone's saying we want more of this, you know, how can we, you know, it's not enough training. And I think it's going to open a better dialogue between employee and supervisor. Because now they're seeing a world that they really didn't understand that the supervisor is dealing with. That's great. Really cool to hear. And, and, and speaking of this idea of, you know, people wanting more learning and training, we know it's something that I, I talk to L&D professionals across different organizations. It's like the number one thing coming up in engagement surveys. We want more career development. We want more learning and development. How do you make learning more of a priority in corporate objectives so that, you know, the funding is there, the support is there from, you know, upper leadership to say, yes, we do need to make time for people to engage in learning so they can develop and grow? So interesting. We, and everyone will say, well, that's a really easy goal. So we did last year, we made it a 40 hour required learning goal, received a lot of pushback from Mm. the professionals, interesting enough. So some who do a lot of continuous learning were absolutely saying it's not even enough. We should be Mm -hmm. probably at an industry standard of over a hundred hours a year for learning. And we were just trying to do a 40-hour learning goal. So it was set at the corporate level. And then we had that goal cascade down, right, through our goal system. And we did it again this year. And we were tracking it. But it was also in a trust system that it wasn't something where you necessarily had to get a certificate from. But we were trusting you, the employee, that if I did an hour of listening to a podcast or just an hour listening to training or went to a seminar... I could type that in. I could put that into what I accomplished. It wasn't something that always was company driven, right? Mm Because we were trying to get everyone to really think broadly about how they learn. And so I do think there has to be some top-down driven from the corporate level that this this is important. Now, luckily, within our CEO's leadership philosophy, education is one of his top imperatives, right? Because he sees, and I agree with him, education is that that equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. That you can bring people up and everyone needs the opportunity to increase their knowledge. And, mm-hmm. and for, you know, knowledge is power. It empowers people. And so our CEO truly believes that. And he believes how do you empower all the way down to that manufacturing specialist, that frontline worker. So he empowered me to say, don't only focus on professional leadership and development opportunities, but how do we develop the frontline worker? How do we give them an opportunity to learn that has to be within their eight hour day, right? Mm. You can't tack that on to the end of a shift. They're already exhausted, right? It has to be done during their shift. Mm. So that was, that's really hard when you look at that frontline worker of how do you put those programs in place that you say you value them and you're also, they can give them the time during their shift Mm-hmm. Training, not just compliance training, right? Development training. Yeah. As you're doing that and you're enabling more people, I would imagine you get more requests and more ideas, right, for different types of things. How do you approach evaluating the needs of people in the organization and making sure that you're spending your time, your organization's budget and resources in the right places? So, I mean, for us being a global company, we do it by region. Mm. So looking at Thailand's needs are different than Singapore's, right? And also depends on where the factory is. We have one remote factory and then we have another factory that's closer to Bangkok. So you also have to look at your environment, what's available and how do people learn? Everyone just assumes that everyone is part of a digital economy. Not everyone is part of the digital economy, especially factory workers. 
So you have to really think more broadly about your development program if you care to get all the way down to that hourly employee, right? I mean, we have it here in the United States. We have what I call digital deserts. You can take LA, for instance. We have a portion of LA where the average citizen is in a digital desert because they don't have the means to be part of what we call the digital economy, to just even do transactions, let alone digital learning. Mm. So it's a gap that I don't know that we pay as much attention to because many of us go, well, I'm here every day. I'm online every day. So it's talking to our L&D team and talking to the management of we have to meet employees where they are and we have to meet them to how they learn. And you have to ask them those questions. How do you learn? How I learn is much different than my 19-year-old daughter who's in college and she does everything digitally, right? I'm still more of the book. Right. Yeah. I yeah. want the book. I want the highlighter. It's horrible. It's so old school. Right. I print it. For you. Yeah. Right. That's how I learn. Just tell me you don't print your emails out. I do not print my emails out. Trust <laughs> me. But I do. I do. If it's something very technical, I, I find I go back yeah. to my old way of learning. I haven't crossed over yeah. that. Yeah. But it's also not. And we just assume that, oh, if it's someone in their 20s, they're a digital learner. Right. Not necessarily. Some people need more face-to-face interaction. Some want the mm-hmm. hybrid. So I think really understanding, and it also it's what is it that you're trying to teach them? Mm. Is it something that you have to teach in a lab? Is it something you have to teach on the factory floor, right? Vice more of a soft skill. Is it something that requires interaction? You want the dialogue. Because I always think is we do a lot of your broadcasting. What was received? Mm. Right. How did they receive that information? Did they actually are they are they really taking it in to be able to use it, use that knowledge? Yeah. And this this especially was really altered, you know, over the last few years. Obviously, we went through the pandemic. You and I were chatting about that earlier. And so many employees went remote that weren't remote before. And you've got I know you have a lot of remote employees. You certainly have a global workforce. And I was going to ask you with people spread out and more people working remotely, you know, how do you ensure that learning and development resources are accessible and effective? And you also have the added challenge of, you know, so many of your workers being frontline hourly workers that can't just go home and do something on their computer at home, right? It has to be done during their workday, like you said. Right. I think it's just, you know, recognizing it's not one size fits all mm-hmm. and looking at those different employee groups and the different regions of accessibility. And then you really have to make sure what is that fairness and equity be, equity for how you're distributing corporate resources on L&D to make sure, okay, how are you doing that? And I also think the feedback loop, and we all have to have thick skin when we do training, and then the feedback is waste of my time, right? Mm. Or So that instructor wasn't prepared, right? Or... It just wasn't good training, wasn't quality training. Yeah. Then we have to say, okay, stop. We have actually taken a few what I call tactical pauses on training because we heard from employees that said this was not quality, wasn't a quality, wasn't worth my time. So it's like, okay, stop. We're not, we're not meeting the objective. And even, even when you, we've used other services and we put links out there, right, to say, oh, go take this training, what is the feedback? Because employees' time is just as valuable. 
if you're sending them to a site to get training or you're actually sending them to a seminar, are you taking that feedback? And I also, we do something within people and places organization where we say sharing is caring. So if I send anyone to a conference or a seminar, the responsibility is they either have to do some type of video or slideshow or just even a quick one pager of what did they learn? What would they want to share? What are resources that everyone should know about? Because you can't afford to send everyone to everything. So we always say sharing is caring is a requirement. If I'm going to expend resources to send you to training, then you have to take the time to share that knowledge, which means you just can't go and sit there and not be paying attention either. Right. right. And if you didn't gain anything from it, that's just as important. Mm. If you walk away and didn't gain any tidbit of knowledge, or you said some of it was actually good to know where I sent someone to a talent development conference and they came back and said, we're actually ahead of market. Hmm. Like, wow, that was good feedback, right? Like we've already yeah. implemented an AI platform. We've already done, you know, hmm. some type of way of using AI in talent development. So it was good feedback to say, oh, well, sometimes we think we're so far behind our peers. And then I sent some of my professionals to a conference and they said, oh my gosh, we we're in front. That's good. It's good to hear. Yeah, good you don't to want to rest on your laurels, right? But it's good to hear. Yeah, like, oh, we're when we think we have so much improvement, which is like, okay, now right. we just know we need to improve the platform. We, yeah. We're where we need to be. How do we improve it right. for the employee experience? And I think going and working with your internal communications team, what is that employee experience? Mm. Are we capturing that employee experience? Because when people have a good development program, if they've gone through quality training, it gives them energy to go do more. If they have a negative experience and that employee experience wasn't good, waste of their time, that trust starts to fade, right? Well, I'm not going to trust that person telling mm-hmm. me to go take this training. Yep. I want to talk about career development for a moment. You and I were chatting about it before we started recording, and you've already made some comments. I'm certainly talking about providing development opportunities to employees in different ways. You alluded to creating more talent mobility by investing in, is it Gloat, the platform, so that people are able to find roles and move around and, and creating a culture that values promoting from within over hiring outside, if you can. Um, can you talk more about how you're creating more career opportunities for people and more talent mobility or career mobility at Seagate? Because we're hearing that the number one thing people want in their careers, right, is 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 career growth and development. They want to know how, if I join Seagate, how am I going to grow in my career? So I'm sure you're thinking about how do we provide those opportunities? So, so we are, because this has been a really challenging time for the hard drive industry yeah. storage industry. So resources are very sparse right now. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking at is development is an area that people care about. People care about salaries. They care about salary increases, but they also care about how do you develop me? And so when I thought about when a manager is asked, or even if they're hiring a new employee, an employee says, what does my career development look like at Seagate? I found some managers were struggling with answering that question. And how do we say that more consistently across the company within the different functions? So we're looking right now, you can say that's employee value proposition, which covers all the different types of values uh, that employees value. But when you look into development, what do you tell a brand new engineer or a brand new you know, information technologist or data scientist? What does that look like for them? 
So we're going to sit down with each function. We're just at the at the cusp of this is what do we say that path looks like? And as I told you before, I think it's more of a jungle gym. Mm-hmm. We have to set expectations for employees is it's not going to be just your lockstep have this ladder that you're going to climb. There's expectation of experience, exposure to different areas of the company once you've learned your trade craft. And there are especially in the technical side, we can say there are certifications you need to have. We need to know that you're proficient and whether it's a software language, right? There are things that we want you to be able to demonstrate that you've achieved a level of competency, right? So we're going to work with each function to understand what that is. Because I think in every function, you know what that is, right? Of what you're looking for of experience at different levels. But I think we need to put that out on paper. I think we really need to define what that is so we can have a manager, a very young manager can have that conversation of what does career growth look like? Everyone wants to know at what point do I get promoted? Yeah. Right. It, it's going to come up as yeah. a question anyone is going to ask. How sure. do I get promoted? Right. How do we catch that in a more tangible way of expectations at the different grades? Mm. If you're an you know, say engineer one, two, or three, you know, professional engineer one, two, or three, what does that look like? What is the expectation of our chief technology officer? So spending time doing interviews with the different leaders and managers and capturing that in a way that we can have more substantive, qualitative and quantitative discussions to say, this is what career development looks like at Seagate. I think we lack kind of maybe a more constructive framework and depending on the maturity of your manager and their years in the company, some may or may not know what that looks like. So I really want to empower the entire group of understanding that per each function. And I don't think people say, oh, that's really easy for a technologist to define. I think every function can define that. I think sales can define it, marketing, Mm -hmm. HR, finance, legal. Yeah. There are steps in anyone's career that where there's an expectation of competence. Yeah. And what you're talking about is obviously career mapping mapping in a way. Right. Yeah. Career mapping and and creating an opportunity and more clarity for people to know where they can go and what their career might look like at Seagate. You and I were talking earlier about, you know, employees taking ownership of their careers. We want to encourage more people to do that. And yet you can only go so far without support from your manager. Right. And so you want managers also to be supporting their people in looking for those opportunities in moving around the organization. How do you create that type of culture and, you know, teach your managers to be more supportive and empowering their people? So I ask everyone to do a basic Excel sheet career map. And I know this sounds really old school. Mm. So put the years across the top, put your family or significant others at the top as well with their ages Okay. Where are they at age by year to include if you have elderly parents that you think are going to impact like parents, if you do elderly care, children, when are they in high school? All of those things have an impact of you as a career professional. And then you put also where you want to be. And then you go by year and say, okay, right now I'm a P1 and I'm doing this job. You can look around the company and say, well, how do I get to that next position? And I always say, have the individual employee do it first. What are their expectations as they look at an engineer or an HR professional? So take a, a most junior HRBP, how, how do I become a vice president 
in HR. So you can map that career across 20 to even 30 years. Hmm. But also put the life events that matter, moments that matter in someone's life. And we did this in the military as well, where I would say, wow, you know, and, you know, right or wrong, you want to start a family. You want to go get a master's degree. You want to get your PhD. Oh, you have aging parents, but you think you may want to go on an overseas assignment. Do you really want to be that far away from family, right? So Mm -hmm. a manager can have, this is what makes you personalize that manager experience. Do you understand the employee in the military, you knew people 24-7, but you also knew their families because the families paid a price in that soldier's career. I don't think that's different in corporate America. If you really know your employees, they can be their best self if they're also, many of them are caring for their family, extended family. Do you understand their needs and what's driving them? It may, it may impact a work structure at a certain point in their career where they need to be remote. Mm-hmm. If someone's asking for a remote, why are they asking for a remote? There may be a reason why they're asking for a remote Mm -hmm. or hybrid. But I think if you put that down on paper and as an employee, you own it, right? This is my career map. This is my career map. Mm -hmm. I may want to write a book. Where do you put that in there, right? Or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be that you have a passion about. Put where you want to volunteer. Where, Where are your passions for volunteering? I mean, that also comes up, right? And then sit down with your manager. And the manager then has something to look at and say, how do I influence that? How do I assist this employee to meet these goals? And some goals may not even be realistic. Right. Right. So some people don't understand what it takes to do a master's degree at night or a PhD. Right. Are you actually going to take a break in service to go do 100 percent schooling? Right. Yep. So having those conversations. Right. Yep. Same thing I talk about all the time with owning your career, that everybody has different goals and your goals are for you. And you have, just have to recognize the trade-offs that, that come with those things, right? Some people- Well, here's even more interesting conversation. Take yeah. your career map, make your partner or spouse do that as well. Because many mm. times you have dual professionals in the home. Yep. Now overlay them. <laughs> One says they want to go do an overseas assignment. The other was trying to be near family. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Instead of having the- that fight, like, let's sit down and talk about this. Right. Expectations or someone saying, I want to go back to school. You both say that at the same time. Oh, that's mm. not going to work. We have small right. children at home, right? Like, yep. like, what is it that are the other variables that may impact that goal? Yeah. What emphasis are you putting on career and family and move and where you live and all of these things? You want people to have a, as much of a balance. You want them to enjoy life. It can't yep. just all be about work. Yeah. And you want to support them in making the right decisions for them that also are supportive and, and bring value to the organization as well. And and what I'm hearing is the manager is there to help facilitate that, right? To have those career conversations and, and talk with the employee and say, okay, you said you want to do this. Here's what it's going to take. Do you want to do this thing over here? I'll support you with this, but here's what you're going to need to do. And I'll give you coaching and feedback along the way. If not, then you have this other option over here or, or something like that. And I think that what you just said, is really important. When you recognize that that opportunity is not in your company, mm-hmm. how do you help them? Mm. They may have to leave the company, but they might boomerang back because right. now you help them to get to their goal. Yeah. And then later on, another opportunity opens back up in your company. Mm-hmm. Now this loyal person comes back because yep. you help them 
Yeah. And we have to be comfortable with letting people go. If they have yeah. an opportunity, allow them to go, but then tell them the door is open, right? Stay in touch. I yeah. can't provide you that leadership position. Go for it. Yeah. I can't provide you that pay raise right now and you really need it for other yeah. personal reasons. Yeah. I want you to go take that job. Stay in touch. That's what leadership is all about. And people remember you forever. That's how you build your legacy. When you are truly focused on supporting others, enabling, empowering your people, putting your Absolutely. yourself aside, your, your ego aside, and really focusing on others. Patricia, we're, we're aligned on that. I agree completely. I love everything that you're, you're talking about. I wish we could talk more. We're, we're out of time here. But I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much of your experience and wisdom with us and, and some of the things you've done. I know you've inspired a lot of people here and I look forward to talking with you more soon. Thanks, Andy. Remember your people are incredible. They will do innovative and creative things. Trust, believe in them. They will not serve you wrong. People are number one. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Patricia Frost, who is the SVP and Chief People Officer at Seagate Technologies. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We, we really talked about a, quite a few different topics, you know, tapping into Patricia's experience from the Army and leading the people function as an executive there at Seagate. Uh, she's done so many impressive things and great learning from her, how she thinks about making people and learning and development more a strategic part of the business. And I know they've been going through some challenging times in the semiconductor industry over the last few months. And uh, she still brings a really optimistic spin and is really thoughtful about how she approaches people development and empowering people in the organization to develop themselves, which is something I think we many of us aspire to do and create cultures of learning and development inside our organizations. Speaking of creating cultures of learning and development, if you're looking for ways to get better at that, as well as learn more about what's going on in the world of talent development yourself and connect with more great people in that world, you've got to come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank membership community. All the information is on our website, tdtt.us. We have live calls every Wednesday with guest speakers, many of whom have been on the podcast in the past where you can ask questions and connect with others. We have a private Slack channel and we have recordings galore from past calls and training sessions over the last three years that live in our member vault as well. All the information is on our website, tdtt.us. Just click on community. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will be our bonus Q&A round with Patricia Frost from Seagate. Take care. <laughs>